Football is back, and that means so am I. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest edition of the Peyton Doyle Show. I'm Peyton Doyle, host of the Peyton Doyle Show, coming to you live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you to those of you who are tuning in. If you can't stay for the entirety of the show, do not worry. I've got you covered as always. You can find the show uploaded here on YouTube and all listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all your listening platforms as well. As I mentioned to start the show, football is back. The first weekend of NFL football kicked off on Sunday afternoon, and my goodness, it was everything that we all wanted it to be and more. From Soldier Field literally becoming a lake, to the Falcons blowing another fourth quarter lead, to the AFC South somehow managing to start winless despite two of the teams playing against each other, week one was jam-packed with action. I'll be talking about that mess of a game later in the show, Uh, the one in Soldier Field. I'll also be talking about, is the Dallas Cowboys season already over after Dak Prescott's injury? I'll also be giving my three biggest winners and three biggest losers of the week. Then to wrap up the show, I'll get into a new new segment called Peyton's Picks. Sports bettors, you'll love this one. I'll give you my top three bets for this weekend. But first... I want to talk about, and I want to open up with this amazing Thursday night football game that we were all blessed with two nights ago. The AFC West matchup we were all anticipating, Chiefs versus Chargers, the team that is established and consistent in the Chiefs and the team that is hyped and the heir apparent to the throne in the AFC West in the Chargers. Well, It seems like the Chiefs are simply not ready to give up their spot atop of their division. The Kansas City Chiefs proved to us once again they are still king. And the Chargers once again gave up another fourth quarter lead and failed to win in a close game. But the outcome of this game, I put less on the Chargers and more on the Chiefs' excellence. Justin Herbert was excellent in this game, and I'm not even remotely close to being ready to jump off the Chargers' bandwagon Just yet. No way. Not this early in the season. But I am ready to start up the Chiefs bandwagon once again. I can't lie. Listen, I'm a prisoner of the moment sometimes. And it it was very evident in that in the offseason when I said that I had the Chiefs sitting at third in the AFC West this year. I want to say I was wrong about that. And yes, I'm ready to say that after two games into the season. I'm not all the way out on the Raiders just yet but I'm falling back in love with the Chiefs. And honestly, I should have known that this would happen. I still have some concerns over their defense and their schedule gets a little tough. But I'll tell you what, some of those red flags turn green when Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback of your team. Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the NFL. I love Justin Herbert and I love Josh Allen. But Pat Mahomes is still the man. He's still the future face of the NFL when guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady retire. Pat Mahomes is still that guy. And as far as the Chiefs go, when you're playing in a quarterback-driven league and you have question marks on defense, you play in a tough division, your schedule is challenging. How do you solve that? How do you solve that problem? Well, having the best quarterback on the planet certainly helps. I'm hopping back on the Chiefs bandwagon. They are still the kings of the best division in football. And for the Chargers, Raiders, and Broncos, 
In order to be the best, you have to beat the best. And as of right now, they haven't beaten the best. So therefore, Kansas City, they are still kings in the AFC West. Okay, let's move on and let's talk about the first NFL game to ever be played under sea level. This game was was a complete mess. And what's funny to me about this game is that on both sides, the overreactions are absolutely crazy. I wouldn't expect anything less, though, because the game involved two young quarterbacks, and that's the new trend. We all overreact over young quarterbacks. Nobody can just give an objective take on a young quarterback. Well, I'm here to be the boring guy and tell everyone to pump the breaks on the hype for Justin Fields and the hate for Trey Lance after this game in week one. Still week one. First, We'll start with Justin Fields here. Was Justin Fields the only sophomore quarterback to get a win last weekend? Yes, he was. Did he have the best performance of all the sophomore quarterbacks? Absolutely not. No way he did. Fields completed 47% of his passes for 121 yards through the air for two touchdowns to one interception. Those aren't necessarily great numbers. So let's pump the brakes when acting like this was the indicator of a Justin Fields breakout season, because it simply was not. Now on the other side of the game, let's stop acting like Trey Lance is a complete bust after the week one loss. This game was literally played underwater. Like I said, it was under sea level. This was ridiculously um, inclement weather to be playing football in. It was like a 100-yard slip and slide. We cannot use this game to properly judge any of these teams or players. And that same mindset should absolutely apply the same way to Trey Lance. Look, if you've been listening to this show for a while over the years, you'll know I was. I was extremely high on Trey Lance heading into the NFL. But with a guy like Trey Lance, more than likely there was going to be growing pains. He's a low floor, high ceiling kind of guy. The 49ers took that risk and they understood that when drafting him. However, Sunday's game wasn't an indication of those growing pains. What happened in week one doesn't indicate that Trey Lance can't be a franchise quarterback. Just how it doesn't indicate that Justin Fields can be a franchise quarterback. The conditions that this game was played in is a wash. It makes the game a complete wash. Both teams, reasonably so, played like crap. The Bears just so happened to play a little less like crap. Then the 49ers did, and that's why they ended up winning. It wasn't heroics for, from Justin Fields. It wasn't the fact that Trey Lance had a bad game. It was the fact that it was a terrible situation in bad weather. You cannot judge these two young quarterbacks positively or negatively off of their week one performances. Another team that played like crap during week one was none other than America's team. The Dallas Cowboys were the only team in the NFL that didn't score a touchdown in week one. The only problem is they don't have the excuse of inclement weather. They just stunk. In all ways, they looked awful. And to make matters worse, Dak Prescott left the game in the fourth quarter with an injury to his throwing hand. However, the good news for Prescott and the Cowboys is that Dak will miss less time than initially expected. The initial timeline was six to eight games without Dak Prescott. Now it seems like there's optimism within the organization that Dak can return to the field by week five if his recovery goes well. First of all, I'm going to say this. 
I doubt that he's going to be returning by week five. This is the best case scenario for the Cowboys that Dak Prescott returns in week five. The Cowboys also reportedly are rolling with Cooper Rush as their quarterback while Dak recovers. They will not go out and trade for a quarterback like Jimmy G or sign a guy like Cam Newton to come in and fill this role as the starting quarterback while Dak is out. Cooper Rush is the guy. And I have bad news for you, Dallas Cowboys fans. Your team season is over. Let's say the best case scenario happens and Dak comes back in week five. That means the Cowboys will have to play the Bengals, the Giants, who didn't look terrible in week one, and the Commanders, who didn't look terrible in week one, with Cooper Rush as their starting quarterback. Let me tell you what this means for the Cowboys. They're about to start the season 0-4, then Dak comes back three weeks after having surgery, and we're expecting him to save the season? I'm not buying it. Stick a fork in the Cowboys. They're done. All right. It's time to get into my biggest winners and losers segment. Let's start off with the winners because winners always go first. My third biggest winner of the week is Cleveland Browns fourth round pick rookie kicker Cade York. Listen, listen to me right now. Cade York is him. There's no doubt about it. He was basically the highlight of the Browns in the preseason. There were videos of him kicking field goals before games from 70 yards out, and these kicks would have probably been good from 75 or 80 yards. He's unbelievable, and he got the perfect opportunity to show to showcase that in Sunday's game against the Panthers in a week one that we saw so many kickers miss game-winning field goals and cost their team's victories. This is what Cade York did with his opportunity to win the game as time expired. York to try to win the game. The kick. Oh, look at this. the distance. And Cade York wins it for Cleveland. 58 yards for the win. And it would have been good from a billion. That 50-yard kick, 58-yard kick is the longest field goal made by a rookie kicker in week one in NFL history, and it was for the win. That's why he was a fourth-round pick. He got to prove his worth by securing the Browns' first season opening victory since 2004, and now he winds up on the biggest winner's list. Next up, I have Geno Smith. Everyone and their moms picked the Broncos to win in week one against the Seahawks. There was absolutely no way that the, that the, the Seahawks were going to beat Russell Wilson with Geno Smith as their starting quarterback. No way, right? There were some people who didn't even think that Geno Smith should have won the starting job over Drew Locke, like myself. Well, he did, and he proved why he did on Monday Night Football when the lights were shining the brightest. Geno Smith completed 82% of his passes for 195 yards and two touchdowns with a passer rating of 119 and a half. And most importantly, he got the win and ruined Russell Wilson's return to Seattle and his debut as a Bronco. Not only did Geno Smith have an amazing night on the field, he also gave us probably the clip of the year in his post-game interview. This is what Geno Smith had to say after the game. Folks, you said had written you off, maybe? What did he say to them? Yeah, they wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. That's the problem. I ain't right back. Let's go. They wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. What a gem. I love it. I love the energy. So enjoy the win, Geno. Keep it up. 
We're hoping big things from you. Keep it rolling, Gino. What a huge win for him. Now, my biggest winner of the week is Saquon Barkley. A lot of people were out on Saquon. His career has sadly been played with, plagued with injuries, and in the 13 games that he did play last year, he wasn't exactly stellar, scoring only two touchdowns on 3.7 yards per carry for the entire year. But he clearly is not washed. He clearly is still as dominant of a running back as there is in the NFL. You want to know how you can prove to the world that you're not washed? Come out in week one, average over nine yards per carry, rush for 164 yards, score a touchdown, and also catch six passes for 30 yards while you're at it. Saquon led the Giants to their upset victory against the Titans to open the season, and he has proven that when healthy, he's still dominant, and for that, he is the biggest winner of the week. Now, we all know how the world works. For every winner... There is a loser, and here are my three biggest losers of the week. Starting off, I have Notre Dame football. How embarrassing for them to lose to an unranked Marshall team. This offense is horrible. The defense is horrible. This team is horrible. Ranked within the top five in the preseason, and by week three, they're unranked. Notre Dame is the most overrated team in college football year in and year out, and now they're blatantly getting exposed. There is no defending Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman is now the first Notre Dame head coach to start off 0-3. They're unranked. They're too scared to actually join a conference because if they do, they'll get exposed even more. Notre Dame is done. Now, my second biggest loser of the week is good old Baker Mayfield, my good old buddy Baker. After making t-shirts to market this so-called revenge game, after saying to Cynthia Freeland, I'm going to F them up, Baker Mayfield played the most Baker Mayfield game I've ever seen. If one game can sum up Baker Mayfield's entire career, it would have been week one versus the Browns. Baker starts chirping and talking smack leading up to the game. Then, Baker starts off the game looking terrible. Then, when the expectations die down, he starts playing pretty good. And just when you think he can win the game, it ends up never being enough, and he lets you down. Oh, well, Baker Mayfield didn't play that bad, though. Yeah, but that's the silly little argument I always hear about Baker Mayfield, okay? Oh, well, you didn't play that bad. In the NFL today, with all the elite quarterbacks and high-powered offenses, playing not that bad is simply not enough to me. That is not enough. I'm not a Baker hater. I like Baker. I like his swag. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of performance on the field, he's average to slightly above average at best. Always has been. Always will be. Now, the absolute biggest loser of the week is the team that I mentioned earlier in the show, the Dallas Cowboys. You know what's funny about the Cowboys this year? They didn't even give any of us the chance to get our hopes up about them. They were just awful out of the gates. Now they're probably going to be missing Dak for anywhere from four to eight weeks. They looked awful with Dak. How do you think they will look with Cooper Rush? It's over for Dallas, and it may also be over for Mike McCarthy as head coach of the Cowboys as well. All right, guys. New segment alert. Here's the first ever edition of Peyton's picks. To quickly explain, I'm giving you my three favorite bets of the week. That's it. Pretty plain and simple. So let's get into it. Starting off, 
I have the Browns covering their six and a half point spread against the New York Jets. I get that the Browns didn't have a very convincing win in week one. However, the Jets had a loss in week one that was extremely convincing. Extremely convincing that they are a terrible football team. The Browns offensive line and run game dominated against the Panthers and the defense looked pretty good as well. And while the Panthers certainly aren't the standard of excellence for NFL teams, they are without a doubt better than the Jets in all aspects of the game. I think Jacoby Brissett plays a lot better than he did in week one. And I definitely think that the Browns win by a touchdown or more against Joe Flacco and the New York Jets. Now, my second pick of the week is in favor of the other Ohio team. I have the Bengals covering their seven-point spread against the Cowboys. I feel like this episode has now become a Dallas Cowboys hate episode, so I'll just leave it at this. The Cowboys are terrible, and Cooper Rush is their starting quarterback. On Cincy's side, they're definitely frustrated after a divisional loss to the Steelers in Week 1, but despite five turnovers on offense, they are were a missed extra point away from still winning that football game. I definitely think the Bengals bounce back in week two. They beat up on a bad and injured Cowboys team, and they show us that they're still a force to be reckoned with in the AFC. Now, my favorite bet of the week is Vikings money line against the Eagles on Monday Night Football. The Vikings came out looking like the team we all thought they could be in the offseason. They held the back-to-back reigning MVP to only seven points offensively. Then the Vikings offense looked just as unstoppable as we thought it could be. The Eagles had a very nice win in week one as well. Don't get me wrong, but the Lions defense is not as nearly as strong as the Vikings defense and neither is the Vikings is the Lions offense as strong as the Vikings offense. The Lions offense scored 35 points and nearly came from behind to win the game. I think this is going to be a great game, but I think that's alarming that Detroit was able to hang 35 on Philly last week. And now I honestly, I I really like Philly and I like what they're doing and I like that they have an identity. And I think that obviously like, you know, giving up 35 to the Lions is terrible. If you give up 35 to the Vikings, you're done. You are done for because their defense isn't going to give up 38. I have the Vikings to go out and win on the road in Philly on Monday night. And honestly, I can't even believe that they're two and a half point underdogs in this one. I really thought the Vikings would be favorites. So smash that money line. Vikings money line. Here we go. And just remember, I didn't place the bet. You did. So before these all don't hit and everyone's like, oh my gosh, Peyton, like you cost me money. No, you cost you money. So there's there's my disclaimer for the week there. All right. Enough babble. That's going to wrap up today's show. Thank you all so much for watching and or listening. If you haven't already, please make sure to follow the show on social media at PD Sports, at PD Sports on Twitter, at PD Sports on TikTok, at PD Sports on Instagram, at PD Sports everywhere. Also, please make sure to like, follow, and or subscribe wherever you may be listening. Thank you all so much, and make sure to stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.